Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nucleus Investment Insights. We've entitled today's presentation, How Low Will They Go?, in reference to the Australian Federal Government bonds are currently being bought up at an alarming rate and um, in prospect, of course, or in thoughts for, for our future RBA cuts over the next uh, coming year or so. Um, so we thought we'd put this one together just to give a little bit of context of our thoughts on uh, our holdings in the Federal Government bonds and uh, where, where we think they're going to go next. So on the agenda today, we've got uh, our key items being what happens when the safety trade isn't safe. We'll then look at bonds uh, from an Australian context versus uh, global perspective. We'll then look at some RBA tactics, what to watch for, and then of course implications for investment and the way that we uh, run money every day at Nucleus Wealth. So without further ado, I'll welcome our Head of Investments, Damien Classen. G'day Damien. Hi Tim. And we've got our, our Chief Strategist, David Llewellyn-Smith. G'day David. G'day Tim, Damien. Excellent. So we'll jump right into it. So uh, we've got top of the pops government bond. We'll look at some pros, Damien. Yeah. So we've sort of hit levels now, uh, sort of record low levels on on a number of different government bonds within Australia for for the Australian market. Having said that, you know where, where we sit versus some of the some of the global bonds is is still significantly higher. But I guess I just wanted to take this sort of this this step back and 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 look because you usually use government bonds as a, as a safety trade in your portfolio so you want that there as a, as as stability um you've government bonds pay a, a fixed capital return so uh depending upon which country you're in but as long as you're in a a country that sort of creates its own money and 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 has control of its its um its own currency then uh if they give you a, a bond worth $100 in, in 10 years' time, you're getting $100 in 10 years' time, and there's a fixed amount of interest payments. So you, you're locked in. You, there's, there's, in terms of safety, um, you know what you're getting, when you're getting, and you know that the person, because they're creating their own currency, they shouldn't have a problem paying it back. You sure. do. There are other sort of investment risks out there about alternative assets and inflation and all these things, but, but for, the, for the purposes of, of the money you're getting, you know what it is. Um, the issue is... Uh, real rates are pretty close to zero. So um, we've got about 1%. So if we look at our, our 10-year bond yield at the moment, it's about 1.7%-ish. Uh, uh, and Australia has a an inflation target of 2 to 3%. Mm. So we're basically saying for the next 10 years, um, if Australia hits its inflation targets, then you're going to be you've got negative real yield real yields. Mm. Um, inflation itself is a, is sort of running about a similar level. So and and there is this big question about can governments actually get the get inflation up to to a certain level, or can the RBA get inflation up into back into its band? And certainly in um, countries around the world are struggling to to do so with with the current tools, and so. Uh, for a government bond, it's sort of this. It's this part about they're in this this uh, strange sort of part where you they're they're meant to be a safety trade, but they've they've got so low that now you're starting to to look at them as just a if you just get your capital back and if you can just stick stick with inflation that you know most people would be happy. Mm. Um, but the the flips so and and over ten years the returns look down like. You know, miserable. So mm. if you say, if I say to you, you know, you've, you've locked in, you've, you're buying this bond, you're holding to maturity, so you're locked in at 1.7 percent. There's not a uh, that's not it's not very attractive. Um, but um, the question is, in two years' time, if, if if we're sort of in a similar place to other people, where one uh, percent or, or, or lower, you know, there's a lot of countries with negative um, 
bond yields and, mm-hmm. and even t- negative bond yields at sort of ten years out, then maybe one point seven percent at the moment looks like a uh, looks like a bargain. Pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah. So um, so you know you've got this uh, this part where so from a, from a, from a pro side the what the government bond is giving us is a um, it's giving us this safety um, and it's got some capital upside. So for example, if if bonds went to if the ten year bond went to say about one percent, uh, you'd make six to depending upon how fast and you know other things are going on at the same and and how how quickly it goes but you're talking about six or seven percent return on the bonds in terms of capital if you then wanted to take those bonds sell the bonds and 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 go and buy equities with it mm-hmm. and that's the sort of idea for for us having it in the portfolio is that um you've got it's got this nice safety in terms of you going well I'm, i know over 10 years i'm going to get my money back and i know when i'm going to get my money and I've also got this capital upside um, part where uh, if things, if Australia keeps going the way it's, it looks like it's going, and uh, we follow the rest of the world down this down this path, then you've got this capital upside benefit as well. The flip side is um, that there's there are some cons as well. Uh, the cons are pretty much the same at the at the top. There's a fixed, you know, you, you're not getting any extra in terms of your your fixed capital return, your fixed payments, and they're really low. Um, if bonds went to say three percent, uh, so from one point seven, and we're just talking ten year bond, if and and again, it sort of depends upon the how quickly it happens and and stuff like that. But you're probably going to lose. Um, so so the bond you're going from one point seven down to one got us about six or seven percent return. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd probably lose twice as much if the bond yield went from uh, three one point uh, seven up to three percent. Right. So yep. if it went sort of to the top of the uh, inflation band. So you you know basically a half a percent real yield or zero percent real yield if, if there's actually inflation out there so inflation is your biggest uh, concern at the moment and you know there's a lot of people who are talking up you know inflation's lurking it's sitting there it's under your bed it's just about to, to break out and you know there's all these latent measures of inflation and and you know there's a lot of people who have very you know uh, very long and detailed arguments as to why inflation is about to make this sudden return um, those people have had those same arguments for a know, long time. <laughs> long time, yeah, ten years, fifteen years. Um, our view is that uh, there, there are a lot of other factors that are, that are sort of weighing down on inflation, and I'll, I'll jump across to David in a minute just to to, to run through some of those infl- things that are holding down inflation. But the issue with the government bonds is, uh, as I spoke about, you know, we're talking one percent, one point seven percent yield. If there if there is any error. In terms of inflation, mm. and inflation does overshoot, then um, you know that's where we've um, got to start winding out. That's where you're going to be losing money on your on your government bonds if you're if you're doing it as a trade. Mm. If you're doing it as a yes, I'm holding this to maturity. Yep, you don't worry about it. You know what you're getting out of it. But I think for for our purposes, we've sort of got a a, a series of bonds that we are holding for maturity and stability. Mm. Um, with the option to switch into equities if equities sort of fall away mm-hmm. and then there's another part we, we're holding as a, as this trade as as the world comes to the realization and that's been quite a profitable trade over the last um you know three or four months in particular uh we still think there's some scope to well it's probably run ahead of itself at the moment mm-hmm. there is scope over the over the longer term for that to keep going and your other issue is um you know there's increasingly um modern monetary theory um, which is code for printing money. Which is code for printing money. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it's a, I think there's interesting. Yeah, lots of in, it's, it's it's everywhere at the moment. I think the the, the pithy statement is that it's neither modern nor monetary or, nor theory, but um, it, it's certainly uh, 
it's certainly getting more and more adherence. And in the end, it's it's basically a fiscal, as you said, it's a, it's a fiscal spending. Mm. And we know that what we know that um, we've run out of room on the monetary side, and we know we need some fiscal spending. So, however you want to call it, um, the fisc- if, if you do see a, a decent outbreak of that fiscal spending, then that's where um, you know the real issues will come for because uh, because we will, we will see inflation return. Mm, mm. And so, um, but maybe it's worth t- tossing over to David for for his thoughts on some of the key key reasons why we think inflation is. Um, is uh, going to stay low. Yeah, sure. Oh, Dave, have you got a couple of things to say on this one? Uh, yeah, sure. There's there's uh, probably two ways of <clears throat> breaking this up. The first is is the structural and global forces that are driving uh, disinflation and lo- and lowflation. Uh, the first one is just peak debt, uh, where uh, you know, various segments of the private sector are, are, are uh, uh, saturated with debt and, and need to deleverage. And, you know, some of them have been through that already in various countries where, you know, in the US, for instance, households deleverage, but its corporate sector is now extremely overleveraged, whereas here it's the reverse. Um, but that peak debt, you know, in a debt based monetary system obviously means that it's difficult to. Uh, return any kind of consistent or sustainable inflation pulse. Second one is inequality, which sets us up for uh, a demand deficit or an oversupply in the economy. And that is when you have too much income and wealth, uh, you know, owned by uh, too fewer people, which we've certainly got in the in the United States and increasingly in Australia as well most particularly by the housing market, then you end up with a situation where, you know, a lot of that wealth and income just can't be spent because there's just not enough people who have it. And those who have the marginal propensity to spend it, those further down the um, lower economic strata, uh, don't have enough to spend. So uh, again, you have a structural situation where insufficient demand cannot support the oversupply in the economy, and, and that is deflationary because you have too many goods competing for too little demand. Uh, and the third one is is uh, is probably uh, you know the ongoing um, surge in automation globally, uh, which uh, you know is kind of tied with productivity as well. These are the third and fourth ones where we've had a long period of low productivity, which uh, means that uh, again has had been little income to share between, uh, you know, corporate profits and labour, which has again resulted in, you know, demand deficit on the labour side, and then you've got automation, which is, you know, kind of projected to to uh, to ramp up as robotics and AI uh, come on stream over the next decade or two, uh, and again, you know, that's uh, going to, you know, I, I cause to some extent. Uh, rises in unemployment, etc. Although I'm more hopeful on that side that that might actually be the solution to some of these issues because, uh, you know, it should <clears throat> ultimately increase productivity and increase incomes. And uh, as long as you're not in a circumstance where your political economy refuses to share that income, which, you know, places like the US are and Australia is increasingly as well via its immigration program, which tends to keep labour on the back foot, 
uh, not Labor the party, but the Labor market in general, uh, then the productivity gains that come out of those automation should actually lift income and, and help cure your demand deficit over, over time, but uh, only if you're in a circumstance where those gains are shared. So uh, basically a lot of big headwinds for inflation structurally. Then you've got the more particular issues in Australia uh, when where you know that peak debt scenario uh, is is very critical at the moment in a cyclical sense with house house prices falling quite quickly uh, and you know we see the headwinds for those house prices as very severe uh, and and quite unprecedented um, with you know macroprudential the post Hain Royal Commission reforms particularly around the HEM the household expenditure measures leading to a structural tightening in credit. Uh, and then the wealth effects around that, of course, creating a, a you know an output gap or a demand deficit in Australia, meaning low inflation on that front. And then, you know, particularly uh, for Australia, uh, you know, China's transition as well as it as it steadily goes X growth, um, you know, owing to its own over indebtedness, uh, and that you know really directing what is only a, a terms of trade correction that is halfway through. That is commodity prices, which, uh, you know, came off their record uh, post-GFC highs and fell very heavily into 2016, but then got a little bit of a fiscal bounce. But, uh, you know, as China continues to, to see its growth fall, as it can't continue to ramp up those levels of debt via stimulus, then commodity prices are going to keep falling. Uh, and we see them going a lot lower yet, uh, the key ones being being the steel inputs of iron ore and coal, uh, and that's going to create an ongoing income shock for Australia. Uh, basically, the national pay packet will continue to be cut for the next decade, uh, and again, that's very deflationary. Uh, you know, what we've described as a lost decade has probably another decade to run, as, and everybody will be scrambling to find any any income they can. Uh, so you've got a structural context of, of low inflation globally and then Australia has some quite severe cyclical uh, deflationary headwinds as well. Yeah, sure, David. Well, look, thanks for that. And definitely uh, a well-rounded picture of some reasons uh, why to uh, to still hold bonds. We might jump into uh, the next uh, piece, which is the bit of context, I guess, really around uh, central bank rates, uh, both uh, with Australia against the rest of the world. Uh, and it looks like here we've got Australia in uh, blue, Norway in red, and uh, green for Canada, If uh, for those uh, watching along. So uh, what have we got to note here? Yeah, it's got just got a long, long history of the three countries. So these, these are three developed markets, uh, all, all what we call commodity current, uh, currencies, uh, in that they've, they've they're quite large exporters of, of various commodities. Uh, Canada was more similar to Australia, but but over time um, added a lot more oil and gas. Um, Nor Norway. Uh, has has always had lots of oil and gas, and Australia quite recently has been adding a lot of um, a lot of gas in particular, and so the currencies, uh, sorry, the, the long term uh, interest rates, as you can see, are, are pretty similar between between all three. They're they're sort of buffeted by by very similar forces. Yes, there are, there's short term uh, local um, sort of domestic factors or, or commodity specific factors which which affect them, mm -hmm. but you know as you can see over the longer term, um, very similar drivers. You, you'd expect that the the um, uh, the similar situations, yeah, yeah the bond rates, yep. yeah, 
we'll, we'll, we'll go through similar similar stages. And so then the, I've sort of focused in though on the last uh, 10 years where the Australian bond rate has been a lot higher than the, the other countries. And a lot of that's been the China stimulus following the uh, financial crisis mm-hmm. in that uh, that's kept iron ore prices quite high and coke and coal prices quite high and, and thermal coal as well. Uh, and Australia is a very big producer of that. And, um, you know, it's, it's this thing about proximity. Australia sort of services the uh, the Chinese market. Canada um, is, is a lot more tied to the US market. And so I think what we're seeing is that, um, and, and what we're seeing on this one is yeah, the Australian interest rates have been a lot higher than, than the other uh, two currencies. They, uh, in sort of 2016, both those currencies, both the Norway and, and um and Canada sort of hit sort of the one percent level for mm-hmm. the ten-year uh, bond rates. Economies were going were going more slowly because they didn't have that sort of uh, the China demand sort of underpinning their their economies. Sure, uh, but that sort of sort of leads back to the question now: is 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 that sustainable forever? Mm. And and in our view, that's not a that's not a permanent, um, and, and it might be it's not a permanent situation, and and it might actually be uh, as David spoke. There's, you know, there's reasons for for that to come back. And so, what we're looking at in terms of the where we sit versus the uh, versus those other currencies, we're still um, you know a decent bit above uh, both those, uh, but also above the lows that we sort of saw yeah, in those in both those uh, economies when they were having more severe problems back mm. in 2016. And so, I guess the question is, if Australia is going into a housing crash um, and we've got our, all these other headwinds of our own, uh, yeah, that's you. We would think that's at least enough to offset any any benefit from from increased Chinese demand. Mm-hmm. And if Chinese demand falls flat, well, then then our current, our, our bond yield should be you know at the at the same level or, or lower than 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 these other countries um, countries most likely. Yeah, yep. depending upon lots of other economic factors. But but in a broad sense, um, there's sort of no reason why we can't see uh, our ten year bond rate sort of hitting similar levels to to what we saw from from these um, in 2016. I'll just add a couple of things on that. Um, vis-a-vis China, one, the stimulus that they've done to date is is not enough to for to see any kind of roaring rebound. It's really more about stabilisation. Uh, so, in that sense, I wouldn't think that uh, commodity prices are are likely to take off. And secondly, um, uh, the Vale accident has already sent them so high that unless China <clears throat> excuse me, really does hit the gas in a way that it hasn't as yet done, uh, then, you know, the stimulus to date uh, will actually see those commodity prices fall um, because, you know, as Vale sorts out its supply issues slowly but surely, uh, you're actually going to see, you know, iron ore at the mid-80s is is in the throes of what would normally be a rampaging Chinese stimulus. I mean, it's already priced. So you, you're still going to have a quite decent Chinese stimulus without it being ripping, uh, and these commodity prices are going to have to fall, not rise. They're already priced for perfection, absolute perfection, and it's much lot more likely that we're going to fall short of that. So then, then if you jump to... Uh, you know, the next, the next part, and just in, a, in terms of a relative sense, uh, is is just comparing to some of the other economies that are, that are have sort of 
have led the way. And these are the manufacturers. These are some of the key manufacturers. I've just picked out the Japan and and um, Germany. But if you look through Europe, you see a pretty similar trend upon uh, across most of those, um, but across most countries there. And, and basically, what you're seeing is that the uh, the ten year bond rates are at zero or, or negative. Mm. And so uh, we're not. We're not sort of playing for a negative yield within Australian bonds. You know, do, you'd need a, a, a uh, uh, quite a severe downturn and and and, and a you know, recession and and possibly global other global th- things falling out globally. Um, it's certainly within the realm of possibility, but mm. I think it's it's not something as an investor you'd, you'd sort of say, well, I'm buying them now because I I, I think then your bond rates are going to zero, which is sort of about a a negative 2.5% real yield over the long term mm. is, is pretty severe. Uh, Australia does have a higher inflation target than a lot of other countries. Yep. So um, having said that... Do you think that might be due for revision though? Or? Well, I think I think most places would... would uh, and World Bank people would, would actually prefer to have higher inflation targets. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, but having said that, if you can't hit your low inflation target, raising your target and moving your target, and, yeah. and not hitting that as well yeah. isn't going to make that much difference. Sure. But, but you'd like to think though that um, you could maybe get some people. Oh, sorry, you go, David. Sorry, I might add that uh, at the moment the RBA and its satellite of uh, uh, economists, for want of a better word, um, are very deflation-minded. At the moment, I, like so, the, it is actually possible that these these idiots will lower the inflation target directly into an, a deflation shock, which you know would be absolutely mad. But and certainly not the base case. I, I don't think uh, government would be very happy about it, and and it, it would certainly have to go through them. Uh, but there are a number of quite eminent voices arguing for just that. Um, and they really just haven't cotton on to this uh, this uh, structural lowflation environment, but I expect they will in time. Yeah, well, that's a, that's probably a good segue into um, some of the RBA tactics and, and some of the things I guess that we can look at the what they what they can do, what what they've done in the past, and and um, and then what they can possibly do in the future to to sort of uh, to try and attack this problem. So in the past, we've seen uh, you know, the traditional measures is, is basically cutting rates. So so demand's low, you cut rates, uh, you blow debt bubbles, um, and you you loosen credit standards, and mm-hmm. then you hope that everything comes back. And you know when when your debt bubble goes up, then you start winding things back to to make sure it doesn't get too far out of control, and, and off you go. The issue we've got is um, we've blown some pretty big debt bubbles. Mm. Uh, we haven't we haven't really got a big government debt bu- bubble in Australia, but we're, we're buying some decent some sort of world-leading um, uh, private debt bubbles. Yep, household debt, yep. Uh, and we've loosened credit standards already as pretty much as, uh, well, they, they were they were as loose as uh, loose enough that we had a Royal Commission that sort of came in and said, hey, what are you guys doing lending people money that, that they can't afford to pay back? Mm. So the sort of traditional measures of, of trying to get demand sort of going have, have been used. And so, and, and the, the loosening of the credit standards looks like it's legally now being pulled back because the courts have actually said, well, you can't lend money to people that, that they can't afford. So so they've sort of put the clamps on that. So the question now is, um, is what else can you do? Mm. Now, now fortunately, Australia, the rest of the world has been through a lot of this stuff. So we've seen 
what the steps are, but but the the, the first step is is um, well, the first step actually is once you've finished your eight cuts, is is starting to get into quantitative easing. Yep. And there's a, there's a number of different methods um, you can use. There's a there's some um, basically you want to try and get money out into the economy. Uh, the euro is using slightly different methodologies to the US, but you know the effect is is pretty much the same. Uh, Japan's even out there buying um, you Stock. know, stocks and <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically anything that's not nailed down there, they're they're out. The central bank's out there buying. Um, it's uh, we'd like to think that after twenty years of Japan trying it and ten years of everywhere else trying it and and pretty much failing to get inflation going, that that um, you start to to look for other other tools. Uh, there's certainly a competitive currency devaluation game going on out there because mm -hmm. uh, the lower you can get your currency, uh, the better it is for, for your economy. You can stimulate some demand that way. Australia hasn't been playing that game at all. Mm. Um, arguably, we've been um, uh, talking it up rather than, rather than talking it down. Uh, so, you know, we, we certainly could move into that. And then there's the sort of quantitative easing to get it, to get money out actually directly to the people, which was tried a little bit in Japan. Um, and there's a lot more sort of discussions going on about that, about, about what can be done. But our sort of take on the RBA is that they, they still sort of sit very much behind the curve. Yep. Um, they've been fighting tooth and nail to, you know, been telling everyone rates are going up, rates are going up, rates are going up for years now as um, this whole thing's played out. And our take is that, um, you know, as, as we've been saying all along is that um, they've misdiagnosed the, 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 the problem is that they still haven't got to until they get to that diagnosis and 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 work out that hey we're actually you know we're not dealing with just a, a short-term demand and it's not just an animal spirits and if we can buck everyone up um and get them to go out and borrow some more money everything will be fine mm. um that then you can actually start worrying about you know what can they actually do in terms of um you know, some of these uh some of these processes so historically um so that, so they have to turn it around historically the rba has been quite data driven and and when they've sort of been slapped in the face with um you know you used to think this and and now the data's telling you that that's definitely not right they do tend to flip around um the question is will they do it this time or not mm. and so at the moment um the ship's starting to turn um but it's um i think it's captain's pretty reluctant and um david i'm sure you've got a few more um few more thoughts on that but i guess i guess my overall bit is that the rest of the world's already been through this process we've, we've seen what works and doesn't work so you'd like to think that um we've got a blueprint we've got a, a blueprint yeah yep let's not follow the european one let's follow um or try something US, different anyway or, yeah. or, or let's add yeah let's go with <laughs> let's actually be thought leaders and go for something new um but the uh that doesn't seem to be um we seem to be following very much the orthodoxy yep david your thoughts well yeah i mean there there should be in um popular conversation uh a a counter definition to thought leadership maybe thought lagging and um, the rba would be the the perfect uh representation of that they've been terrible since the gfc in terms of getting ahead of uh you know these these various structural shifts and trends and i don't think that's changed at all um post mining boom or during the mining boom they were busy fighting and a 1970s inflation breakout that was never coming after the mining boom they were uh you know so busy panicking about bailing out their own screw up with mining that 
They refused to countenance what was coming in globally, which was macroprudential tools to control the fact that they were slashing interest rates. And as a result, you know, they blew uh, another leg up in what was already a gigantic property bubble. Uh, and, you know, as that mining bust played out and diminished, they were left with the housing bubble, which they're now trying to talk down. Uh, and now they're overcooking that as well by refusing to cut rates and, and give it some assistance on the way down because, you know, the headwinds, uh, the macro prudential headwinds, if you like, which, which takes in uh, both the exit of Chinese dough plus uh, the um, Hain Royal Commission tightening is very, very severe. And uh, the RBA has misdiagnosed that again because it's so busy looking backwards at its, at its last bubble, uh, which it doesn't want to blow up again. So <clears throat> they're not thought leaders, they're thought laggers. Um, their methodology is also lagging, as as Damo says. They they're data driven, when we already know that uh, you know some of the most crucial data. I'm thinking of labour markets in particular is very lagging, and they don't want to cut until they see that go. Absolutely, and that, that was what we spoke to. We spoke with uh, Damien from Credit Suisse last week about they um, about that and and about the whole uh, you know jobs. The jobs indicators are about a six month lag on the rest of the economy. And then once you actually cut rates and start these things, you've got another lag of 12 months or so before it actually really starts to hit. Mm. So it's sort of basically you're trying to drive <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a car that you, when you steer, it doesn't, it doesn't start changing direction for another you know, couple of months. And in the meantime, you're, you're busy looking in the rear vision mirror trying to work out when you should be steering. Yeah, in, a, in essence, when the writing's on the wall, it's well and truly too late almost. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, one, one other thing just to note quickly on the RBA tactics is... Um, there's been this reliance on fiscal, and and what I, what I mean by that is the government spending, and we do have a, a uh, an election in in train very shortly, and there's a there's a bit of spare money from from higher commodity prices that's going to be thrown around, and and so there are some thoughts that that maybe that will actually help. Um, the biggest issue for that from a uh, from what we've seen elsewhere overseas is that often that what happens at the state level will offset. What happens at the federal level? So yes, federally there is a there is a desire to get out and spend this money and to 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 get the economy going and and to tax cuts and and all those types of things. But if at the same time what we're seeing is states that 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 do a far greater amount of the actual day to day capital expenditure and things like that, if they're all pulling back because uh, the household receipts, so the uh, stamp duty receipts are, are much lower, which they are much lower, and we know that's only going to get worse, mm. uh, then that. Quite possibly will offset um, a lot of, if not all, the the benefit you see from from fiscal, and we've seen that you know right around the world as as, as other countries have been through this same process. Sure, sure, okay, very good. Um, so, uh, what are we uh, looking out for? What's to watch for going forward, Damien? Yeah, so I've got sort of seven things that are that are on the list. I mean, there's a, and a lot of these are all um, you know if you get a little bit of movement on all of them, um, might might cause us to to pull back our our bond weights. Um, a lot of movement on one, but but you know, and 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 so it's 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 this combination of a whole bunch of these different things that could that can make a difference. So the first one um, that we're looking for is that we spoke about a little bit earlier that 2016 commodity country bond yield lows. That's our that's sort of our our, our line in the sand about saying well we look we know um, other countries through similar in a similar environments and um, with 
potentially uh, with yeah with, within similar environments sort of hit the one percent level so that's sort of a you know when we start getting close to that we know that um we need to start being a bit more careful and and be winding back our positions so that's and, sort of the lower bound you think of, of australian of the rates in australia so it uh, depends on how bad some of these other ones get okay. so um but it, but i think it's a it's a reasonable it's a reasonable marker to to to, to have your eye on is saying whatever weight you, whatever weight we have right now we won't have the same weight at when the bonds hit one percent unless a whole bunch of these other things have turned really, really bad. Mm, okay. And so, you know, as as we get closer to that one percent, we'll be scaling it, scaling it back, and, and looking for other things. Um, there's so rate cuts and quantitative easing are, are, um, are highly likely. The sooner they happen, uh, the more likely that um, bond yields don't get as low. So uh, the longer it takes for those rate cuts to happen and the longer um, after the rate cuts have run out of ammunition that takes to get to quantitative easing, um, the, then the, the, the lower we'll expect those bond yields to go because our concern is that uh, once the housing market gets out of, out of control um, and a lot of these things start to slip away, um, it's too late to, to, to go. And it's quite potentially, it's already too late for, for rate cuts and, and quantitative easing, but um, if you uh, if if they're delayed even further, then you know there's other issues. Sure. The fiscal spend. So the more government spend, uh, the better it's going to be for the um, for or oh, sorry the 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 point that we're getting to won't be as low. So if we're so, seeing lots of spending, we'll we'll have to start reversing and selling our bonds a little bit earlier. So when you say fiscal spending, so big infrastructure stimulus. Um, yeah. What, 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 how, what forms would they Tax take? Tax cuts. Okay. Um, infrastructure. Uh, maybe there's more on the health. Maybe schools. Like there's a lot of. I guess there's a lot of areas you can do spending on. Yep. It doesn't really matter which area, as long as um, some areas will have better bang for buck. Mm. And so you know when you when they when they spend money in that area, especially if it if it goes to um, to the lower income. And I think uh, the Labor Party, which is looking like um, winning at the moment, but um, you know who knows. Uh, they've certainly got a number of. Uh, programs sort of targeted at the low low income earners, and that mm. that would certainly help stimulate demand. Yep. Um, throwing money, if you do did a, a big sort of um, stimulus sort of a la, a la Trump, where you give some some nice big tax cuts to companies and to the richest people. Yep. Um, that'll have an effect, but it's going to have far less of an effect if that same money was um, if that same money was targeted at the at the lower income. And that would have, that that would have a far greater effect than than giving tax cuts to companies and. And and the the already rich. So effectively, giving it to people that'll actually spend it. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, housing crash. So the, the the worst things get on the housing crash. Um, you know, the lower we'll see those bond yields go. Uh, the Aussie dollar is a is probably one of the biggest factors which would help um, ameliorate some of these problems. So Aussie dollar falls. If it fell quite dramatically, then all of a sudden Australian goods and services become a lot more uh, attractive mm -hmm. on a global perspective. That lifts demand for people who are wanting to buy us and wanting to hire people in Australia to, to run their um, you know, their Asian leg of their, their global companies and, and all those types of things. So um, the lower the Aussie dollar goes, then then you again, that's another sign that, yes, I can start winding back on my, my bond yields. Mm. Um, having said that, you know the Aussie dollar's got some of those factors um, that David was talking about, but it's it's a um, whether it be commodity prices that's affecting it, uh, whether it be the fact everyone else is trying to get their currencies down as well to try and try and get demand up. Do the same thing. Yep. So you know there's there's a lot of factors at play there. 
corporate debt, I've, I've, there's not enough time to go into this in detail, but basically um, the, the corporate debt load globally is, is, um, is getting up there. Mm-hmm. So it sort of tends to go through cycles. It wasn't, corporate debt wasn't that high in the financial crisis. Most of the, the problem was um, Household within debt. households. Yep. Yeah, and so that was where we saw most of the, the, the problems. Corporate debt's starting to get up there now. Mm-hmm. And so potentially, you know, from a global perspective, that's one area that could be a, a global concern. And if you see start to see corporate debt defaults increase, and then even locally Australian court corporate debt, you know that's that's a sign that the bond yield can go lower. And just yeah, um, just on that point as well. Obviously, um, people draw parallels to crises quite easily. So there's the GFC US style housing debt related. You can draw some parallels to housing debt in Australia. Household debts at you know yep. record highs, but probably you know one of the highest in the world. Um, the question remains: Is is there sort of a GFC style, uh, you know, problem looming for Australia? Do you think it's going to be at that level? It's it's probably not going to be a worldwide problem like it was. Um, what what are your thoughts? I think uh, look, we've got there's a whole bunch of different outcomes that we sort of consider. If you have a a decent sized global downturn and uh, the RBA a little bit late, then you could see a a GFC style event happened to australia in terms of you know severe housing downturn yep. um you know stock market big, falls stock market falls big tick up in, in unemployment yep you know if you've got a, a number of those dominoes when at the same time then yes you could you could very easily see scenarios where you can end up in that case uh i think there's a there's an argument that uh central banks have been the they know how that they've got a few more kicks of the can mm, okay. not the, they haven't solved the problem. They don't really know what to do, but they know how to delay the problem. Mm. And we can probably delay the problem for a bit longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I'm talking we, I'm talking globally. The, the problems can be delayed a little bit longer. And so that's, uh, I think that's probably a, a decent a decent base case is that, you know, there's a few decent sized can kicks. Australia has a lot of problems, but they, they do tend to be isolated a bit more to Australia. Sure. Um, but you do have that downside risk. Yep. And okay. so, yeah, so you wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't discount um, a you know, major major crisis within Australia. Okay, interesting. Finally, uh, and then finally, MMT, which is this modern monetary theory, magic money theory, magic money like theory. That. Yeah, pick pick whatever you like. In the end, it's a it's an argument for governments to um, get out and print money and spend, uh, which is, in our view, um, a far better um, way of actually getting out of this mm. than the monetary policy, which is been tried in for 20 odd years in Japan with no success. Yep. Um, we've had 10 years globally with people trying various bits of, of monetary policy with no success. So um, you would hope that eventually somebody will, will say, well, maybe we should try something different. And even though there are people complaining about this, a lot of it's just fiscal spending and let's just Get out and do it. And do you think there's a, there's a question, especially with uh, magic or modern monetary theory, um, where it's obviously, as you mentioned, it's been used a lot um, around the world uh, to varying levels of success. Um, but is it, is it a question of the so, quantum? Sorry, of- when you say modern monetary theory hasn't been used okay. to... Um, so, what, so, so, the, so QE as opposed to MMT, perhaps? Yeah, so, so, the, so the, 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 the basically the steps that uh, the, the central banks have been going through at the moment has been uh, weak demand, let's cut interest rates because mm-hmm. that'll spark demand again. Yep. Then they've run out of run out of interest rate cuts and they're now some places are, are playing with negative interest rates, mm-hmm. which 
um, loses a lot of its benefit. But but so and and, and uh, it's clearly not successful anyway. Okay. Um, so far, and and I, I doubt it will be. But okay. You know, um, there's there are people who believe we just need to get it more negative, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> So there's there's that uh, there's quantitative easing, which is basically okay. Well, we're going to go out and buy assets to basically, if we can push down yields everywhere, mm. then if you can only get one percent, point seven percent on your bond yield, Tim, you won't want to buy any bonds, and so you rush out and buy, you rush out and start up your own company and yep. and get some more demand going by creating jobs and blah blah blah. Yep. Um, and that has uh, has tended to be uh, hasn't tended to be successful. Mm-hmm. The uh, Japan's even gone down to the step of saying, okay, well, now let's start buying uh, equities and buying other things to try and force people out. Yep. That hasn't been successful. So the next stage is actually saying, well, you need to print money, same as printing money, but rather than printing money and going out and buying government bonds and buying stock market assets, assets and stuff like that, yep. just give it to the people or give it to give it to the government who will just cancel the government's debts so that they can then actually go out and spend more money. Okay. And so um, an MMT is a um, is a theory that sort of gives you cover to do that, um, and uh, which is why it's you know in, in vogue at the moment and, and there's sort of so much discussion about it. But you know, keep in mind that um, there's a a lot of heavyweight economists who uh, don't want to change. You know, they they grew up. They won Nobel prizes for monetary theory and and all these the the current system. Yep. They're not going to give up easily. Um, it's uh, it, it might it might surprise us as to how fast it happens, but yep. but chances are it's going to take a long time for for governments to to work their way around to um, you know sensible governments trying this as a as a, as a genuine. Um, yeah. Okay, general yep, general attempt. Okay, very good. Mm. And just finally, uh, as always, we roll through some investment implications. So we've had uh, quite an overweight uh, holding and position in all across most of our portfolios in Australian uh, federal government bonds yeah. sort of since um, what, late last year. Yep, and uh, that's paid off quite well up yeah. until now. And the- <laughs> yeah, it's been good so far. Um, I mean, ideally, our plan and you know best played plans always. Um, but our plan was that. You know, we'd, we'd roll into our bonds. Um, we've got some foreign currency holdings as well. Uh, as as the realization came that the RBA wasn't going to be raising rates, we'd see bond yields fall, which mm-hmm. which happened. We were hoping that equities would actually come off as well at the same time, and they'd give us a chance to switch from one to the other. We're still hopeful that'll happen. Yep. Uh, and but we still think we've got scope on the bonds. So that's sort of our our. our our basic play for, for how we'd like it to, to go. Sure. The Aussie dollars stayed very high so far. So we've still got that. We sort of feel as if we've uh, the bond the bond legs working. Yep. The Aussie dollar is going nowhere. Mm-hmm. The equities leg, international's outperforming Aussie, but the um, the Aussie really hasn't fallen. And so um, you know, ideally, we'll, we'll sort of end up with with uh, the Aussie dollar. Sorry, our, our international cash holdings giving us some benefit. Yep. Our bonds giving us some benefit. Equities falling, switching, and then uh, riding the next next wave. But I think at the moment, uh, it's it's obviously we don't too early to tell. It's too early to tell. And, yep. and and you're in that problem as okay. You, if your bonds do move even further, but equities don't fall, then you know, maybe that's maybe it's cash. That's the short term. You, know, you just cash. have to look at a yeah. period and just say, well, I'm not going to make any money for the next little while because everything's so expensive. Yep. But um, I'd certainly be concerned. Yeah, we're certainly um, concerned about equities, and especially you know you're seeing weakening in Aussie earnings already, mm-hmm. um, and the economy's still not looking good. Uh, you don't need too many pushes from overseas, and, and it could turn 
very very ugly. So um, yeah, be very conserv- very conservative on the on the equity side and sticking with the safety sort of trades on equities as well. Okay, yep, fantastic. All right, well, uh, plenty to think about there and no doubt we'll be doing another uh, bond one in the next uh, few months or maybe six months just to sort of recap on where we've left off today. So, Well, that's it for now and thanks for watching. If you like what you heard today and you'd like to hear more, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash subscribe, give us your email address and in return we'll send you a weekly email with new webinar topics, links for our podcasts and other news from Nucleus Wealth. I certainly hope you've got something out of today as I have and we'll look forward to catching you with the next one. Cheers.